You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. I have good news for you. God is good and he rules and reigns. He knows the future. He has good plans for you and he tells you the future. The Bible calls this prophecy. And about 25% of the Bible at the time it was written was all prophecy. It is God revealing the future in advance what was going to take place. And it's exactly what we're going to study today in Daniel chapter 8. To set the stage, the book of Daniel, of course, is a part of this book, the Bible. Some 40 authors, 66 books. It's primarily the way that God speaks to us. Daniel is one of those books, and this is in the Old Testament. There are 12 chapters. We've been looking at one chapter per week. When we jump into Daniel 8, it's about 500 years before Jesus walked on the earth. So now we are about 2,500 years removed from Daniel's time. This is ancient literature, ancient prophecy, ancient history. It started this way for us. Daniel was a teenager in chapter 1. And as a teenager, he was in the royal family, but the nation, the empire of Babylon came in and overrun the country of Israel and took Daniel and many thousands, 700 miles away to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar came in, overran, destroyed the temple and took these people captive. At this point in the story now, fast forward, Daniel's about in his 80s. That means he's been in a foreign country serving a foreign pagan king for nearly 70 years, but God still uses him in a mighty way. Now, when we get into this vision of Daniel's, we're going to see that God uses creative imagery to depict what's going to happen in the future. It might get a little complicated when we're first reading it, but the good news is, God also gives us the interpretation of that vision in this chapter. So you're going to hear about a ram and a goat. But God's going to help you understand what those are referring to. In addition, sometimes in the Bible, we'll hear the image of a beast representing demons. Because demons, too, are like wild and dangerous. And you can best believe that an evil spirit is at work behind these nations that are typified and represented by these beasts. Finally, what I think will be helpful is we'll read a portion of Daniel's vision, and then we'll skip ahead to the interpretation, come back and get another part of the vision, and then the interpretation. I think that'll help clarify. In any case, we start in verse 1. Daniel says, in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision. So now he's referring back to the Babylonian uh, time, the empire, which dominated the first five chapters of Daniel. King Belshazzar was the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. So now we're talking around 550 BC, and it's that the nation that he's in will be overtaken by another nation before it's overtaken. <laughs> That's the prophecy. He's in the Babylonian empire, and he gets a vision that that's going to be conquered by another empire. And then that one's going to be conquered by another empire. And then will come the Roman empire. 
in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and ultimately his second coming. Daniel sees a summary of all of human history into the future. So here's that verse one in its fullest. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. We looked at that a few weeks ago. He had a similar vision. This one just helps to secure it, confirm it. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. So that's about 200 miles away from where he actually is. So he has this prophetic vision that he is now standing 200 miles away in what is going to be the capital of the next empire to come, the Persian Empire. In the vision, I was beside the Uli Canal. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west, the north, and the south. This is a mighty kingdom coming, and everything and everyone in its path is about to be destroyed. No animal, meaning no nation, could stand against it. None could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased, and it became great. What this vision is saying is that Babylon, the most powerful nation in the world, would be met by another empire that has two horns. Those represent two kings, two kingdoms, and historically, this is the Medo-Persian Empire. The reason that one of the horns is longer than the other is because the Persian side of it is greater and stronger and will eventually just absorb the Mede part. So you, what you'll hear in history is the Persian Empire. Well, here's the interpretation of that part of the vision. We have to skip down to verse 15. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it. So Daniel receives his revelation from God and he can't fully understand it. It needs to be interpreted. How many of you have ever experienced that? You're reading a passage from the Bible and you're like, I don't get it. Well, you're in good company. Daniel didn't always get it. And, and here's what is going to happen. God is going to send the angel Gabriel to Daniel. There are only two named angels in the entire Bible. Gabriel and Michael. By the way, both of them are going to occur in the book of Daniel. So he's going to, he's going to send the top gun here. This is, the, this is the big dog, Gabriel. You think, gosh, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Guess what? You have something even better. You have the Holy Spirit to help you understand. Nevertheless, he was trying to understand it. And there before me, he says, stood one who looked like a man. So when an angel shows up, sometimes they have the appearance of a human being. That's why Hebrews talks about there are times that we may have entertained angels without even knowing it. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near, as he came near to the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate, just flat down on his face. 
Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. So he's referring to kings and kingdoms. And as I stated, you said, Maybe you're thinking, how did you, Paul, know that this was a Medo-Persian empire? You're not that smart. Well, it says it right there in the Bible. So I just read ahead. I cheated there. So what we're hearing is that Daniel is getting this vision, and what he's hearing and seeing is that Babylon, that you are currently a citizen of, is going to be overrun, overtaken, toppled, by the Medo-Persian Empire that ultimately is dominated by the Persians. Now, here's a great question for us. Why does God care about the Persian Empire? Why, when there are so many other nations, would God be concerned with them? Because for God, the centerpiece of human history is Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean. They are at this point, Daniel and the children of God, 700 miles away from home, 700 miles away from Israel, from Jerusalem, from the temple in Jerusalem. And it will be the Persian Empire that will release them and allow them to return home and rebuild their city and their temple. The temple at this point is closed. There are no priests, no sacrifices, no feasts. They're not getting together weekly as we are to learn the word of God, to pray and to worship. Why does that need to happen in Jerusalem at the temple? Because Jesus is coming. The Bible tells us elsewhere that Jesus will come to the temple. God needs to get his children home so that he can have the temple opened, so the word of God can be preached. And if that temple is closed and these things aren't happening, Jesus can't be coming. So this is to prepare human history for the coming of Jesus. Now there's another empire. So the Babylonians were then going to be conquered by the Persians. This historically happened. And there is this prophecy a few hundred years into the future, that a larger, greater empire will conquer the Persians. That's the Greek empire. So we go back to verse 5. Daniel says, as I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat, so we had a ram, now we have a goat, with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. In other words, that's a depiction of how fast the onslaught of the Greek empire will be. It came toward the two-horned ram and I had seen, that I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it with great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram, shattering its two horns. This is a head-to-head collision, but the Greek empire is so strong, so swift, there's no match. The ram, the Persian Empire, was powerless to stand against it. 
the goat, the Greek empire, knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns, four new rulers, grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Okay, so let's hear the interpretation. Skipping ahead, Daniel hears this. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. That's Alexander the Great. You've probably heard of him. And here the Bible has prophesied him hundreds of years in advance. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. Let me tell you a little bit about Alexander the Great. He was a mighty warrior king. He died at an early age. He had no male heir. And so his kingdom was divided between four generals, four rulers. You see, God knows in advance exactly what's going to happen. And all of this is under God's sovereign control, and all of it is needed ultimately to bring Jesus Christ into human history. So let me explain to you a little bit about this amazing prophecy. Alexander is going to come roughly 200 years after Daniel. At this point, God's people are far from home. They're not only far from home, they're in enemy territory. And it seems that God is losing and Satan is winning. How many of you feel those same things right now? I mean, as believers, we are also far from home. We could also say that we're in enemy territory. And when you look and hear of things going on in the world, doesn't it seem so much that Satan is winning? But ultimately, God rules the future and Jesus is coming. That is the source of their hope and ours. So Alexander the Great is prophesied in advance a few hundred years. At a young age, his parents were murdered. He had to assume the throne at the age of 20. But he was absolutely prepared to be this warrior king since infancy. And he has this dream of having a mighty army that will be the Greek empire to march against and conquer the Persian empire. All of that, okay, that's what God is saying in this prophecy. It gets better. There is an ancient historian named Josephus who was born just five or six years after Jesus died. And Josephus is considered the greatest ancient historian of the Jews. And in 94 AD, he writes a 20-volume history. He's not a believer in Jesus, in Jesus, but he is a teller of Jewish history. He reports that Alexander the Great had a dream. And in that dream, Alexander saw a man that he did not know appear to him wearing purple. Keep that in mind. And this man would tell Alexander the Great, it is time for you to amass your army and march against Persia. He didn't know who this was. He didn't know where it came from. He assumed it was some divine revelation. So Alexander, not a believer, but gets this revelation. He starts marching and conquering with his army. He is now entering into Israel. 
Because remember, they're under the control of the Persians. Well, the same thing happened at the beginning of the book of Daniel. Remember, it was the Babylonians at that time that came in and ransacked and destroyed uh, Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, the worship of God, all of that. Fearing that history was going to repeat itself, the high priest decided to go out and meet Alexander the Great to honor him. And what he tells, what the high priest tells the worshipers is put on white, the color of worship, you know, to show that God forgives our sins, that he makes us clean and pure in his sight. The high priest then goes to dress himself. He has no idea of Alexander the Great's dream. But guess what color clothing he chooses to put on? (laughs) Purple. The high priest wearing purple goes out to meet the conquering king, Alexander. He sees the high priest and he's stunned. He says, you're the man I saw. It's your face, your voice, wearing purple. At this, the high priest took Alexander into the temple, and I kid you not, this is what Josephus reports. The high priest goes into the temple with Alexander the Great, opens up the book of Daniel to chapter 8, and tells Alexander the Great, today you are fulfilling prophecy. The God of heaven told us you were coming. You are the mighty horn from Greece coming to destroy the Persian ram. God told our ancestor Daniel a few hundred years ago, you don't know our God, but our God knows you and we've been waiting for you. Liberal critics of the Bible look at this and say, okay, all right, let's set this straight because, I mean, this is so specialized of a a prediction, it surely had to be written after the fact, right? Not according to Josephus. That would be impossible because Alexander the Great reads it before he conquers. Now it gets even better. Alexander the Great has joined the high priest in offering a sacrifice of worship to God. Now we don't know if he converted or just was honoring God, but in any case, he realized this was a sense of divine destiny. Upon departing, Alexander asked the high priest, is there any request that you would make of me? Anything I can do for you? The high priest answers. He gave him a couple of of requests, but the main one that I wanted to point to is he said, when you conquer, which you will, because Daniel prophesied that you would, we ask for the freedom to worship our God according to our scriptures. And Alexander said, that's granted. So under the rule of the Greek empire, the people of God would continue the worship of God and the witness of God according to the word of God until Jesus comes. You see, our God has everything under his control and he's in control of whomever is in control. And that helps you realize when you think everything's out of control. Well, as history unfolds, Alexander the Great dies at age 32. He has no male heirs, and his empire is divided into four kingdoms. Now, the question is, why does God care about the Greek empire? There are many nations, many kings, lots of geopolitical conflicts. Why does God care about the Greeks? They bring education, they bring literacy, and they bring a common language. You see, previously, during those other times that 
they were under siege by the Babylonians or the Medo-Persians. All those conquered people kept their native language. They retained their own customs and cultures. So they were a splintered group. But by the time Alexander is done, there is a common educational system with one common language. So look what God is doing. He raised up the Persians so that the temple could be rebuilt and reopened, where the word, witness, and worship of God could happen. And then God wanted a common language among the known world so that when Jesus comes to the temple, eventually died and rises in our place for our sins, ultimately the news of all this could go out to the world and they could understand who Jesus is in a common language. Then get this. There's another empire prophesied by Daniel, the Roman Empire. All of this leads up to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the largest, most powerful empire in the history of the world. Guess which language it chose as the language of the entire Roman Empire? Greek. That's why the entire New Testament was originally written in Greek. And it went out on the Roman road system because they built a highway system that connected the entire empire. The Bible says that Jesus came in the fullness of time, in the fulfillment of prophecy, so that he could arrive at the temple, and when he rises from death, the news of his resurrection could travel across the entire empire with one language on a road system built by the Romans. Here's what I'm telling you. God is in the details. God even caused a nation to pave a highway if people will walk on it to tell others about his son. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? All right, last one. Here we go. Daniel 8 includes a prophecy about a king to come named Antiochus, who was a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Out of one of them, out of one of those four general rulers, kingdoms, came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. This is going to be a demonic, satanic evil that comes against Israel. That's what is meant by beautiful land. And is even going to come against the God of Israel. It grew until it reached the hosts of heaven. Let me explain this. You need to know that there are two realms for God, one reality. But there is in the supernatural, a spiritual realm. And in the physical world that you and I live in. And what God is showing us is that what's happens, what happens in this world is connected to that world. And it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. Let me explain this too. Whenever you hear the language of stars in the Bible, it often refers to angels, divine beings, the unseen realm. So what Daniel is seeing is this human ruler who rises up and conquers people in the physical realm and declares war on the spiritual realm. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. This human being who has satanic, demonic, evil power is going to crush human beings. It's going to declare war against divine beings. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord. His sanctuary was thrown down. 
Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did. And truth was thrown to the ground. Let me just say, the spirit of Antichrist is at work in the world anytime you see the word of God being stepped on. And when Antiochus ruled, he literally took the word of God, threw it on the street, and commanded people to step on it. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to him, How long will it take for this vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. The question is, how long will Satan rule the temple and have a demonic counterfeit worship service? He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings that's 1150 days. And then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. So this is three and a half years. The point is, God has numbered the days of the demonic, and ultimately he will crush it and bring it to an end. So let's look at its interpretation. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have come completely, have become completely wicked. A fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue will arise. So he's talking about in the future, somebody who is, who is arrogant and proud, deceitful, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power, but by demonic power. He will cause astounding devastation, succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people, that is God's children. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. In other words, God's going to take care of him. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future, hundreds of years into the future. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Daniel sees God being so dishonored. He, he can't even get out of bed for days. Eventually, then I got up and went about the king's business. In other words, he went back to work. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Here's a big theme in the whole of the Bible, and especially in Daniel chapter 8 that might help us make sense of this. God creates, Satan counterfeits. God creates a kingdom, Satan counterfeits a kingdom. God has a king, his name is Jesus. Satan raises up a series of counterfeit kings, culminating in the Antichrist. All of this last portion of the prophecy, by the way, has a double fulfillment. First, there will be a man named Antiochus IV, whose evil reign will begin in 175 B.C. 
He was the spirit of the Antichrist. In a matter of just a few weeks, he will slaughter 80,000 Jewish people, including women and children. He's like the Hitler of 2,000 years ago. He sold many into slavery. And then he would march against the temple to war against God and to trample the word. He set up an image of the pagan god Zeus in the temple to be worshipped. And then he took a pig, which is one of the most unclean animals to the Jewish way of thinking. And he had it brought in to the temple, had it slaughtered on the altar so that its blood would just desolate everything. The New Testament refers to this as the abomination that causes desolation. And again, it looks like Satan won because now the temple is closed again and Jesus can't come. But just to complete this historical event, the Jewish people revolted. And in about three and a half years, they won. And they started a new festival. You may know what it's called. They got to return and basically turn on the lights again in the temple. And that's referred to as Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Now, as I said, this is a double fulfillment prophecy. So first of all, the spirit of the Antichrist was at work in Antiochus IV. But then will come in the last days a demonic, evil Antichrist. And you see that all that remains of Daniel's vision of God's revelation to him is the raising up of the Antichrist and the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'll prove it to you. 1 John chapter 2, dear children, this is the last hour. So Jesus brought in, Jesus ushered in the last days, the last hours, if you will. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So there will be many Antichrists. There will always be a Nebuchadnezzar, a Darius, an Antiochus. There will always be a Stalin, a Hitler. There are many Antichrists. But there is still the Antichrist. Paul puts it this way in 2 Thessalonians. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, that final day, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. This is the Antichrist that Daniel predicted. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the work of the Antichrist. Oppose and replace. Oppose God, replace God with something, someone else. Last verse, skipping down to verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow. Look how easy it is for Jesus. <laughs> With the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Don't even have to touch him. That's how powerful, how glorious, how grand, how spectacular Jesus is. What all this means, the Antichrist is coming. But then Jesus is coming forever. And how does Jesus appear? With splendor and power and great glory. 
You see, Jesus is God. Jesus is alive. Jesus is worshiped by angels right now. Jesus will come back and will judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is the center of history. And Jesus Christ will crush Satan and demons and will raise the children of God to be with him forever. This is the God we get to worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you are so amazing and perfect and truthful and faithful and in control. And Lord Jesus, thank you that we get to look back on what Daniel was looking forward to. And we pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects in our nation, in our church, in our families, in our marriages, in our own lives. We rebuke you, Satan. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to give revelation and transformation to the children of God. And Jesus, in a moment, we're going to sing another song. And we do so it's to practice for the day when we see our King coming in the clouds of heaven. Where we're going to be singing as our Jesus arrives and reigns. Give us faith to believe in that day. Until on that day, we see it by sight. This prayer we make in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.